Well, good morning again. I'm back. Doug's on vacation today, and uh, so I get the privilege of being able to share from God's Word with you this morning. Um, it's kind of cool how this worked out. Uh, there, was a, there was a point in time uh, several months ago, uh, towards the beginning of the year, and, and I felt like God was kind of sh- sharing some things with me. And uh, I was getting really excited about it, and uh, I was actually going to talk with Doug about like, hey, if there's ever a spot where this fits throughout the year where I could talk about this, uh, I'd be happy to do it in whatever way possible. And he comes to me and he says, hey, I need you to preach for me on June 11th. And I was like, cool, what's the sermon about? Well, it just so happens it's exactly what, uh, what I was hoping to get to share. So I'm really excited about this. This is something that I'm, I'm super passionate about. Uh, there are two major things that I'm uh, passionate about when it comes to the kingdom of God. One is just helping people realize that it's more than just rules. And the other thing is, man, we grow so much when we serve. So I want you to imagine with me just for a minute that uh, you go over to, I guess it's not County Market anymore. Uh, let's, call, let's say you're at uh, uh, California Marketplace or you're over at uh, Dollar General next door here. And, uh, and you see this bulletin board up there, and there's a sign, and, and it's got those, like, take a number kind of things, and it says, uh, rowing crew members wanted. And you're like, you know what, I need to be a little more active. We could, we could do a little bit more of something. And uh, so, yeah, that'd be something I'd be interested in doing. So you take the number, and you, you call, and you get it set up, and you're excited. You go over to AJ Jolly Park, and uh, there's, there's a big, long boat there. Usually these, these crews are made up of eight people, sometimes with the ninth person that calls out. Sometimes it's seven rowers and one caller. Some of you have actually done this. I've seen you do it before. And uh, so you get there, you get excited. Everybody gets in the water. The gun goes off. You're getting ready to race. And only half of the people in your boat are paddling. Wait a minute. That's, uh, that's not right. So you're kind of like trying to adjust and make your way through and it's getting swervy because like Three people are paddling over here and one person's over here and then you switch and then it's three people over here and one person over here and you're, you're just, it's so confusing. You limp across the finish line. You're like, well, we made it, but it wasn't pretty. You look back to see what, what was it that happened? It doesn't make sense, does it? To sign up for a rowing crew and never put your paddle in the water. I think that's kind of like, a, it's kind of a good analogy for church. There's a statistic that says uh, between 45 to 50% of church attendees in America don't serve on a regular basis. Actually, some, according to some studies, like they don't serve at all, not just sometimes, like 45 to 50%. So that four out of eight people paddling is kind of applicable. Uh, in churches where it's extra tough, maybe it's three out of eight that are paddling that's, uh, that's extra bad, but just for the sake of today, we're going to say that half of us are paddling going forward. But why would a person join a rowing crew and not row? And why would a person attend a church but never serve? I think the answer is found, uh, there are four major reasons why people don't serve in church. They're all tied to myths That for one reason or another we all believe. But I hope that uh, today God's word will shed some light on the truth. So that we can combat these myths with the truths of his word. Before we get to those myths though, I'm I'm the kind of person like I just want to lay it right out there right at the beginning. Here's the main thing I want you to take home for today. Right? Here's the major truth if you forget everything else. In the kingdom of God, everybody rose. Everybody rose. 
In the kingdom of God, everybody rose. So now let's go, let's go about the, the process of figuring out why these people uh, aren't rowing, right? So let's say that the race is over, you've limped across the finish line, you're looking back and you go back to the person in the eighth spot, the very back. They're the, they're the last person on the boat and they're the first person off of the boat, but you catch them before they make it to their car and you say, hey, wh- why, why, didn't, why didn't you row? Well, that's where we encounter our first, first myth. That will say that that person's response was this. You know what? I'm just not a rower. It's not my thing. I'm not a rower. It's just not my thing. And there's a lie behind this myth, which is this. God only calls certain people to serve. Somebody with this mindset looks and says, yeah, I mean, that person is really good at this and this person's really good at that. I got some stuff going on. I, I'm just like, you know, everybody has a thing. My thing is whatever. And it's just not, it's just not that. There's a, in business, um, and it's, it's made its way into churches too, uh, this false statistic. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called the 2080 rule. Um, it's where, uh, according to the 2080 rule, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Has anybody ever heard that before? Right, you've maybe heard that. Uh, I've heard it. I've even errantly said it, and I wish I could go back in time and, and erase that. Because it's, it's, for one thing, it's actually not true when you look at the numbers, right? Uh, the other thing is, what it inherently does is for the 20% of people who are doing something, the 20%, which is actually more than that, the 20% are like, oh, those 80%ers, schmucks, right? Like, they just, they need to get their keisters in gear. Let's get this thing going. We need to do it. And the, and the 80% are like, sounds about right. If they're happy doing their thing, it just sets up for us in our minds. There are people who serve and there are people who don't. There are people who row and there are people who don't. Here's a myth-busting truth to that lie. We all have a part to play. In 1 Peter, uh, the whole book is about trying to live as a church. He's writing to several different churches and areas, and they pass this letter along. Trying to live in the church in a time and in a place that is not conducive to living in a godly way. Here's, here's something that he, he shares with us. All, all of these scriptures, by the way, I have in your bulletin, and it's part of our, every week we have a reading plan. So every one of these, uh, you're welcome to, to jump in and, and, and find those. We're going to go kind of here, there, and everywhere a little quickly. But, uh, but if you want to just look them up later, please, please do that. That'd be great. But in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Paul, or Peter says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Let me pause there. Does anybody know what the role of a priest is? So in in just one simple picture, in the Old Testament, there was this role of a priest. And what what they did was God was so holy, so perfect, so otherworldly, that we would be consumed if we tried to get to him on our own, right? And so what God did was he set up this intermediary, a priest, where it, the priest's job was, they had both hands, right? They had one hand holding on to God. They had the other hand holding on to the people. And they were kind of like the conduit that passed along the instructions and the grace and the worship and the sacrifices. And thank God that when Jesus came, he became our priest once and for all. 
And he made that perfect sacrifice so that that role of, of intermediary is no longer necessary for salvation. But we still do have a part to play as priests, right? There's that picture where we're, people have access to God through Jesus on their own. But every single one of us in the kingdom of God is meant to play that role where we connect a world that needs him with a God who is the answer to all of our problems. Later on in uh, chapter 4, 10 and 11, I love this phrase. He said, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Did you catch that? Each of you, everybody, should use whatever gift you have received. It's a gift that God has given us to serve others. It's not for our own benefit. It's to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. That various forms really jumped out to me, right? Because we all have different skills. We have different abilities. We have different gifts that God has given us. And when we're all using that, then we're able to share God's grace in all of its various forms. So here's another myth-busting truth that combats the lie that says, you know, there are just certain people that God calls to serve. And that's this. We were made to serve, not to be served. In Matthew chapter 20, it's, it's at the tail end of this story where uh, the disciples kind of knew that things were wrapping up and this kingdom of God was approaching and there was something big going to happen and Jesus is foretelling some things and they're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but they know something big and so to, to jockey in and try to set their positions uh, one of their, a couple of their moms, the disciples' moms, comes to Jesus like, hey, uh, you want to give my boys the right and left positions in this new kingdom of God, right? And, and, and this causes all the disciples to fight and bicker. And, and the actual uh, truth that Jesus says here is, hey, no, no, no. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. For the Son of Man has come to serve and not to be served. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So let me ask you this. If the master of our lives, the Lord of the universe, who put on flesh and bone and came and lived a perfect life, gave us his life as a sacrifice to show what love is and to lead us back to the Father, if that was his posture, if that was his attitude, why would we think that we, as his followers, should be exempt? So that's a conversation I'd have with the crew member in the back, right? That's position number eight. Myth number one, I'm just not a rower, it's, it's not my thing. As we work our way up to the boat, the very next one, uh, we didn't have to get very far. Spot number seven, close, close to the back, uh, they're, the only reason why they're not actually in the eight spot is because they're smaller than the eight person and they would lose in an arm wrestling match, right? And they didn't want to argue over it, so they're like, okay, fine, I'll just be number seven. But, but they wanted to be as far away from the front of the boat as possible, as you talk to this person and, and say, hey, why, why didn't you row while this race was going on? You encounter the second myth that holds people back from serving. They say, well, the truth is, I'm just afraid I'm going to mess things up. I'm afraid I'll mess things up. There's a lie behind this myth that says, oh man, this one, this one hits me hard. Because it's, it's something I have to fight all the time, right? God only accepts perfection. That's the lie that we believe. That's why we're scared, right? But it reminds me of a story that Jesus told. 
in Matthew chapter 25. Where at the end of it, he basically says, God blesses strategic effort. It's called the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew. Um, It could be uh, the parable of the talents in some of the other uh, gospels. Uh, But I'm going to call it the the parable of the bags of gold. And if if you're not familiar with that, it's basically this. There's this master that's getting ready to go on a long journey. And he's got eight, I'm really bad at math. He's got eight bags of gold, right? So to the first person, he gives five, okay, plus two, yeah. Second person, he gives two bags of gold. Third person, he gives one bag of gold. And he says, manage what I have given you and I'll be back. What happens is the master goes on his long journey and he comes back and he, he's calling to account. And the one with five bags said, hey, hey, you started, I started with five bags and here's five more that I've made to you. Ah, oh, great job. Awesome. Come and receive your reward. Celebrate with me. And then to the second person, he said, hey, here's the two bags that you gave me. I've brought you two more. Fantastic. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and celebrate with me. And then he gets to the one with the one bag of gold, right? And if you think about that person's spot, they're looking and maybe through, I don't know if they had interactions throughout this process, right? But if they did, it's like, Jim had five and he's up to seven. And then the next week he's like, oh man, Jim's got eight, nine. And he's, oh man, I'm not, I'm not doing so well. He gets scared that he's going to mess things up. So what's he do? He takes that bag of gold and he says, well, I may not make anything, but I'm certainly not going to lose it. So he buries it in the ground. And when the master comes back to take account of what had happened, he, uh, he sees that it had been buried in the ground. Here's, here's what the, the fearful servant said. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. In other words, you demand results. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. But see, here's what belongs to you. Man, the, the response to that is harsh. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with a little bit of interest. See, what he's saying is, I, listen, I, I don't care as much about the results. What I care is about strategic effort. What did you do with the stuff that I've given you? So just as we kind of continue, just think for a minute. Am I, am I using what God has given me to the best advantage of the kingdom? Or am I, or am I squandering it because I'm so scared I'm going to mess things up? Here's another truth. God's strength is shown in our weakness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he makes this analogy uh, that, that we have treasure in a jar of clay. Um, so it would be like we have something, uh, we, we have treasure, something super treasured, super awesome, super wonderful. And we've got it in our, in our terminology maybe in a cardboard box, right? It's temporary. It's meant to get us from here to there. We are that cardboard box. We have the treasure of the good news about Jesus Christ 
but we're just temporary vessels. That's kind of scary, right? Why would you put a treasure in a jar of clay? Why would you put treasure in a cardboard box? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If the vessel was fantastic, if it was equal to the treasure that it held, what are people going to say? That's a nice box. That is an awesome jar of clay. I guess it wouldn't be, but, you know, an awesome gold jar, mahogany, carved, inlaid, No, that's how God's power is shown. His wonderful riches held in temporary jars in cardboard boxes. There's a story that I love. It's one of my favorite stories uh, to tell. There was a CEO uh, back in the 90s who who made a bad deal. He lost $2 million for his company. And uh, he knew the writing was on the wall. Uh, the, the chairman of the board came and set a meeting up with him. And he, he said, hey, we need to talk. And he, so he had his stuff boxed up and he was getting ready to, to go. And the, the chairman came in and he said, you, you don't, I'll spare it. I, I'm, I'm resigning. And the chairman said, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. You're not going anywhere. The CEO said, but... But I, I made this, our investors and the, the business, the company, I, I messed up, I took a risk, and it was, you know what the chairman said? He said, we talked about it. We just spent $2 million on your continuing education. Because you're never going to forget that lesson. But I, and I hope you don't stop taking risks. I hope you continue trying what's best for this company. But why would we fire you? I think that's kind of the attitude that God takes sometimes, right? We're afraid that we're going to mess up. Guess what? You will. I'm afraid I'm going to mess things up. Guess what? I do. But instead of saying, ah, get out of here, you're fired. On to the next one. He says, hey, what can you learn from this? How can you grow from this? What can this do moving forward to help grow this kingdom? Don't be afraid to mess up. The work is in our hands, but the results are in God's. Let's move up a little bit further in the boat. So this one's uh, in the four spot, right? Smack in the middle of the boat, right? And I want you to picture this person sitting on the, on the boat just like this. Afterwards, right? And you come up and you're like, well, so-and-so, why, why didn't you row? Well, I just don't have all the resources that I need. I I will start rowing once I've adequately been equipped, right? Now, let me pause. This is very legitimate, right? In some circumstances. If this person didn't have a paddle, yeah, you can't row if you don't have a paddle, if you've not been given a paddle. If they don't know what to do, yeah, we need to teach you how to do that. But what if, what if, you know, you're asking this person and, oh, you haven't been equipped. Would you, does your paddle work? Oh, yeah, it works just fine. Actually, it's brand new. I just, just got it. It works, works great when I use it. Oh, okay. Well, are you confused? Like, do you have an injury? No, no, no. I just, are you confused as to what to do? Have you, no? How long have you been on this team? Oh, gosh, I've been on this team for like five years, right? There's a point when we believe this lie 
that says, I'm not fed enough to be able to feed others. Like I said, in some instances, that's a very legitimate concern. But let, let, let's step away from the rowing analogy for just a minute. Let's pretend that after church uh, today, Stacy and I go out and uh, we go to, to lunch with my mom and dad, right? And, uh, and I'm sitting there, we go to the Mexican restaurant and we're sitting there and I get my nacho fajitas, chicken of course, extra cheese. And they're sitting in front of me and, uh, and I'm ready to eat and I just like fold my hands and smile, look over at dad. You gonna cut it up for me? You gonna feed me? I, that, that would be absurd. Because I've had the, I have what it takes to do that task. If, I, if, if, if it was a baby, right? If, if you take a baby to a Mexican restaurant and they're doing the same thing, well, yeah, of course. Of course the responsibility's on the parent. But sometimes, man, sometimes Satan uses this one. I've had a lot of conversations with people who, who have bounced from church to church to church. And, and one thing that comes up over and over and over again is, man, I just didn't feel like I was being fed there. Sometimes that happens, right? But then if, if I ask and, and go in further, like, how did you get involved? Well, I didn't really have time to get involved much. Well, what, what sacrifices did you make to further that place's uh, goals in, in reaching the kingdom? Well, they, uh, it just wasn't really my, my thing, right? Do you, see, do you see what I'm getting at? Sometimes that can be a legitimate reason why we don't paddle. But sometimes we just need to hear this truth. We truly grow as we obediently go. I'll say that again because it's so important. Like I said, this is one of those things that I am so passionate about because the major growth point in my life hasn't happened when I was listening to podcasts and sermons and reading books and going to concerts that are Christian concerts and going to, to conferences and learning. and like That stuff's part of it and it's huge and it's awesome and it's fantastic, but there's been no growth that has happened, like the growth that happens while I'm following Jesus, taking step after step after step out of my comfort zone in serving because we truly grow as we obediently go. Do you remember the story of uh, Jesus and the woman at the well? Um, Jesus and his disciples are traveling and uh, they, they usually would have skipped around Samaria, but Jesus said, no, I feel compelled. I have to go through Samaria. And he goes, and they end up meeting with this woman at the well, and he helps her, long story short, realize that what she's thirsty for is more than just water that's going to be dried up tomorrow, right? That she's going to need more of it. He is the everlasting water. So all this conversation's happening while the disciples are off getting food. They come back, and they offer Jesus food at the end of this story. And, uh, and, they, the, and Jesus is like, no, I, I'm not hungry. Thank you. I have, food. I have food that you don't know anything about. They're like, you, you got Cheez-Its in his pocket or what? Right? And, uh, and he kind of, kind of expounds on that. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is what feeds me. To do the work of him who sent me and to continue the task and to keep on marching forward and to keep on growing the kingdom. I think that's so true. This model of, 
of a rabbi and a disciple, which is what Jesus and his disciples were, was they didn't sit down in a classroom and, and, and have these lessons where they wrote stuff out. It was, it was like Jesus said, do you remember how he called him? He said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men or I'll, I'll, I'll show you the way, right? And so they, as they followed, they learned. That's what it's like for us too. We think there's some kind of entrance exam into needing, into being able to serve where, oh, okay, I haven't passed that threshold yet, so I can't really serve yet. I think that that's the, the model that we should take hold of also. All right, so now the very last myth, person in the, you, would, you wouldn't think it, in the very front spot of the boat. Spot number one. Why, why would somebody be in the very front and not row? Well, here's why I think. They have a lot of good intentions. They do a lot of stuff outside of the boat. And, uh, and, and so what they're going to do is they, they assume that it's going to be the same here. Like, I'm doing all this other stuff, and I'm going to be awesome at this too. I'm going to help lead this charge. But, but they just can't seem to find the time to row or practice or get the stuff that they need or show up on time because they're doing everything else. Here's the myth that that person believes. I'll start rowing once life slows down. I'll start rowing once life slows down. Here's the lie behind that myth. And it sounds harsh, but if you really boil it down, I think it's what it gets to. The lie is that God is satisfied by our leftovers. Ooh, that's harsh. Why would you say that? Listen to what we're saying. When I have time, he'll get the extra. When I have resources, he'll get what's, what's there. But here's the truth. We were created. Here's the reason why we were created. To worship God and to lead others to do the same. Not only in song, but in spirit, in truth, by our actions, by our words, by our posture of heart. Everything else is secondary. In Matthew 6, I think it was wrapping up the, the Beatitudes. Uh, the the longest section of sermons that we have of, of Jesus. And he's talking to all of these people and he's sharing all of these truths. And he sees, I think, in their eyes, man, we're struggling, Jesus. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. And that's not like an exaggeration. That's probably what a lot of them were going through. I don't have, I don't have enough to give my kids clothes. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to do this? Remember what Jesus said? He, he makes this analogy and he, he said, uh, who, who feeds the birds? Like, what job do the birds go to? Does not God feed the birds? And look at the, the flowers of the field. Aren't they dressed better than even Solomon in his great splendor? Here's what, here, oh man, he really hammers it home. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things the clothes, the food, the basic needs of life will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. I see this cycle. Um, I, I have seen this cycle. Uh, I did what uh, Jimmy does for, for a while 
And uh, so I, I would always, you know, one of the main things that you have to do in, in next-gen ministries, you have to be getting more and more people to help out with, with sharing and investing in, in the kids. And it takes a lot of people, and they do a fantastic job. And those of you who are serving there, I want to just give you an extra shout-out because that's, that's fantastic. So many times, though, I would go and, and ask. I would just like, I just like pull up the directory, go, 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 ask people, can you help? And sometimes it would start off, you know what, I, I just feel like I'm too, I'm too new to this so far. But, but ask back, you know, maybe in a year or two, and, and we'll, maybe I'll be there. So then you ask somebody that's in that next stage of life, right? They're just, that person just graduated college. Uh, and, uh, and so then the next person in the stage of life says, well, I just started this new job. So once things settle down there, then, then I'll serve. But thanks for asking. And then you go to the next person in line. And it's, uh, hey, you know, the next person in line, the next stage in life. Well, we're, we're just so busy with the kids. They're so young and it's so hard. And we're just, we got soccer practice and uh, basket weaving practice. And we got archery and football. And they're doing all of these things. And it's just, we're running here, there, and everything. But you know what? Once things slow down, then you can ask me again. The kids grow up. They go out of the house I asked the person in the next stage of life. This is the first time we've breathed in 18 years. We're just ready to take a little bit of time. We're kind of nesting a little bit here. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into something, come back with us again. So then the next stage of life, it's, well, we've got grandkids now. And we're spending a whole lot of time with them. And then after the grandkids get, get grown up, then you ask them. And they're like, you know what? I just can't do things like I used to. Some of those, all of those things in certain instances are, are legitimate. And, and certainly hear me with this. God calls us to different things, I think, in different stages of life. And he's gifted us all with different things. I'm not saying you have to do the same thing forever or else you've, you've done a disservice to God. But here's the truth. Following Jesus requires intentional sacrifice. In 2 Samuel uh, we don't have time to deep dive real deep in this, but David is getting ready to sacrifice to the Lord uh, to ask for his, his blessing upon, uh, upon the people. And uh, he goes to buy a field, a place where he can do these sacrifices. And, uh, and when he gets there, uh, the, the person who owns it said, hey, hey, no, 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 you don't have to buy this from me. I'm going to give it to you. And in fact, I'm also going to give you the ox and I'm going to give you the altar, the stuff that you need to build. And here's what David says, man, this this is good stuff. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Right? It's not a sacrifice if it costs you nothing. Jesus took it a step further. In Luke 9.23, when he's laying out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Their cross daily deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. If we wait for life to slow down, have you ever, have, I've, I stopped saying this phrase, I punch myself in the leg anytime I do when I'm talking to somebody, oh man, I'm sorry, it's just been a crazy week. Anybody said that this week? Did you say it last week? Say it three weeks ago? Are you going to say it tomorrow? Me too. 
except for now I, when I say it, I punch myself in the leg. We got to make this a priority to row, a priority to serve in some way or another. Serving or rowing is, as much, is almost as much for our own benefit and growth as it is for others, the people that we're serving. I heard an awesome quote a couple months ago, and I may not have it like down verbatim, but this was the gist. The nature of kingdom work is this. We can't do it without him, and he won't do it without us. It's not possible for us to do anything of value without him. But he doesn't just let us sit and twiddle our thumbs, say, you're all powerful, you can do this thing, right? He won't do it without us. So what do we do now? Just take a second. Think about the four people we talked about, the four myths, the four lies. Do you identify with any of those? Is there something we can do? We just, we just did a, a survey as a congregation, and I'm told that uh, when you exclude the staff and elders who took this survey... Uh, 60 plus percent of people that took it said they would like to be more actively involved in the church. That's awesome. That tells me that some of the people that maybe aren't rowing or could be rowing a little bit more are saying, you know what, I would like to do that. So we, we as a staff have tried to make this as easy for you as possible. Here's your action steps. Uh, at some point today or tomorrow, I want you to go to plumcreek.org row. Think of the paddle, right? Plumcreek.org slash row. Um, there, there's actually, I think I have a screenshot of what that's going to look like. And don't worry, I'll put the, you can put, you're allowed to bring up your phone if you want to, and that'll be up there again. But this is what it's going to look like, right? So there's 11 videos. They will take you 15 minutes, even if you watch every single one of them, right? It's just a super quick, like, here's what it is. Here's how to reach out. You click the button below if you're interested. We'll reach back out to you. We want to eliminate any barriers. We're trying to hand out as many paddles as we possibly can, right? So watch the video, super short. Click right there. It works on your phone. It works on desktop, whichever one. So if you could go to the next screen there for me, Chris. So if you're not regularly serving yet, here's your action step. I want to challenge you to sign up to serve within the next 48 hours. Why would, why would I pick 48 hours? Right? So I understand that not everybody is going to leave this room and go immediately and, and do this stuff. Like you got lunch, maybe you got other commitments, stuff like that. But here's what I do want you to do. Everybody's allowed to have their phone out. I'm used to talking to teens. Everybody's allowed to have their phone out right now, okay? Scan that. Write that down. Set, your an alar- set yourself an alarm for sometime within the next 48 hours where, where you can sit down and watch those and think about and pray about and talk about how can I go further in this? What can I do? So I want to encourage you, if you're, not, if you're not serving yet, within 48 hours, like I said, set yourself an alarm, whatever it, is that, whatever it is that it takes. If you are currently serving, I want to tell you this. I want to uh, have you ask yourself, am I serving to my fullest potential? This is not a guilt trip. I'm, I, I want you to know, if you are serving 
and you are, you're being challenged and you are using the God, gifts that God has given you, I'm not asking you if you're already doing four things in the church to do five or six or 10 or 12. That's not at all what we want, right? Because then you're not gonna do any of them well. But do think to yourself, I'm paddling, but am I at a point right now where, God, maybe you want me to paddle a little bit harder? Maybe the answer is yes. If so, same thing for you, plumcreek.org slash row. Find one of those spots, click on it, send us a message. It'll automatically do that for us. But if your answer is, yes, I think I am serving to my fullest potential, then what I want to encourage you to do is continue serving with all your heart. And don't forget why you do it. It's easy in the grind of things to forget. But it's amazing what happens when on this team, everybody rose. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you and give you praise for calling us into this kingdom, for calling us out of the darkness and into the light. God, I want to thank you for this place, for this people. God, I'm a testament. I'm a living example of what happens when people say yes to serving, when people say yes to investing when people say yes to passing it along. And so I pray, God, that you would do not out of guilt, but out of excitement because we're going places by your guidance. I want to pray and ask, God, that you would bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, and lead us to take that next step. God, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.